into a new section here, verses 15 through 23. If you would please follow in the reading of the Holy Word of God. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of His calling and what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and that the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, which may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus of all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, give us insight into this. As Paul even prayed for the Ephesians, he prays for us today that our eyes would be opened by the power of your spirit that we may understand the depth of our position in Christ, the depth of the miracle of the body of Christ, and that, Father, we would be overwhelmed by it. Father, make it alive in each and every one of us that we may understand and walk in a manner worthy of our calling. In Christ's name, amen. We have been spending a few weeks here through 3 through 14, and I shared with you that is one sentence. Okay, it's 202 words, and it is so massive that we could spend... uh, Eternity going through that. So what I want you to understand for a minute is this text cannot be exhausted in our thinking. I I just you just really need to know that. And yet what we're moving in here, beginning in verse 15. Is very important part of chapter one. I shared with you when we started this letter a few years ago, I guess. I don't know how long ago it was. When we started this letter, I shared with you that you take the first three chapters, and that's doctrine, pure theology. Okay? Then you take four, five, and six, and you say, okay, here's how you should respond in light of this theology. One of the things that you will see in the church today is we know what 4, 5, and 6 say. But we haven't got a clue about the theology. And yet, one of the things I have learned in my study of Scripture, it is one thing when the Bible tells me something. Okay? Tells it, thus saith the Lord, so we always look at it. Uh, I have had a chance to preach in other countries, and it is amazing in other countries, when you say something, it's in the Bible, there's no argument. They have absolutely no argument. They, they don't come, well, why did he say that? 
Well, is that exactly what it meant, or was that more based on historical reference? Or was that a cultural thing? That's what you hear in America. You go to other countries, and you teach it, and it's amen. I mean, they don't, no, I ain't debated, that's what it says. And I've, I've, I've tried to ask myself, why is that? And I remember talking to a Russian pastor one time when I was in Moscow. And he, he made a statement to me that just has been seared into my conscience. He says, I pray for the believers in the United States. He says, you're under greater spiritual oppression than we were under the communist. And I said, hey, oh, dude, <laughs> come on. They ain't hanging me by my thumbs and dipping me in water. And he says, no, you don't understand. He says, under the communist, you knew who was against you. He says, you don't know that in America. He says, in America, the church has a, a, a fatal flaw. He says, too many have been inoculated against the gospel. And I says, well, what do you mean by that? He says, you tell them to say a prayer and they are saved. And he smiles at me. This is a big Slavic guy. And he says, that is nowhere in Scripture. And I said, yeah, I know. He says, in America, the believers add Christ to their life. He says, in Russia, Christ is life. And I was like, wow. But then I thought about it. And I was like, you know what? For a guy that's only been to America one time, you got it figured out. But one of the things that I have learned all the years that I've been in Castle Rock, there is a cursory, at best, understanding of theology. Cursory, at best. If there is any. There was a large church here in town, and me and the pastor had been serving together. He served in his church, and I'd been serving in this church. He had people come to this church. And they said, well, where's the theology? And he said, well, if you want theology, you got to go listen to Terry. We are here to make you feel better. And he says, well, what do you think about that? I said, well, it's true. Okay, I mean, I'm going to argue with you. I agree with that 100%. Other than the fact that I do not understand you're doing your job and you're not giving theology. But then I've watched people when I say, we are going to get into some doctrine and their eyes glaze over. I don't care about that. I need to know how to get along with my co-workers. Well, if you get your theology right, you never have to worry about getting along with your co-workers. So to think that you can take this and exhaust it in your thinking is nuts. I shared in a Sunday school class, do you understand that this book, 66 books, is looking into the mind of God? Now think about that for a second. We are looking at how God thinks and operates. And he's exposed it. He's revealed it to us. Technically, this verse here, verses 15 through the end of the chapter, is basically a prayer. That's all it is. It's just a prayer. And what you'll find is this letter is full of Paul's prayers. I read a book a few years ago called Gleanings of the Apostle Paul. And the author of the text went through all of Paul's prayers. 
I actually read it at one of my trips. I was in Russia for, I think, 12 days. And, of course, in Russia, once you were done teaching, I was teaching for eight hours a day. Once you're done teaching, there's nothing to do. I mean, you, you, it's not like you're going to sit down and watch Russian TV. You're not going to turn on a Russian radio station. So I would sit and read this book on the gleanings of Paul. Mercy. I got done with that book, and I don't know how I have ever been to read a book other than Scripture that ever convicted me more. Because I looked at what the Apostle Paul prayed, and I contrast them to what I prayed. And I was like, oops. But it changed me. You look there in verse 15, it starts out, for this reason. What reason is that? The sentence that we just came out of. Verses 3 through 14. For this reason, I give you these 202 word sentence of pure theology that the human mind can't conceive. And his next response is what? I pray for you. I pray for you. The prayer is a response for this reason to the great statement of theology that is in 3 through 14. One sentence designed to tell us what it is that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. What we possess in Christ. And if you really think about it, it's amazing. We've looked at it. We looked at it in depth, or as deep as I could get it. The amazing concept of election. The amazing concept of redemption. The amazing concept of inheritance. It was all done in the past. God has elected us. God made a decision. He redeems us, and then He gives us an inheritance. That's all in those sentences, that one sentence. The truth that is in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, are beyond what the human mind can grasp. I don't care who you are. You could have sat through every one of my messages, and you know what? I can tell you honestly, I didn't even scratch it. Didn't even scratch it. I can go back through my notes and I look at it. And as every time I read it back through and go back through my notes, I can add more. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Why? you got to understand something. He did all of this work before he created creation. It gives you a whole new mindset to detail-oriented. Especially for a guy like me who ain't. <laughs> You're like... You got this all figured out before you spoke existence into being. Wow. <laughs> so what would you do on your day off? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Our minds can't breathe to the depth of the truths of God. You and I can't get there. 
And I know I'm going to listen. People are saying, well, uh, you know, I've been sitting and I've been listening. I've been reading and I study. I got me a little Greek dictionary and I do my thing. And I go through this commentary and I do this. And I say, no, man, you can't do it. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've walked with him. You can't grasp it. It overwhelms us. And the more you dig into it, the less time you want to be in the temporal. I won't be here no more. Why? This would be fun to know in reality. Someday we will know as we are known, Paul told the Corinthians. Have you ever thought about that? That makes my poor little pea brain go, oh. I don't know what yours would do, but mine just says, oh, dude, I don't know. Something we can't do, and we can't even dig that truth out in our humanness. Now, everyone says, no, if you're dedicated to study, and you're dedicated to... You know, I've known people, some amazing minds, amazing minds. I have had the privilege, I think about Dr. Rendell, Dr. Phillips. Uh, all of these men, they're not preachers. Dr. Olford read a book a week for 62 years. Now you think about that for a second. I'm not talking about a book of the Bible. I'm talking philosophy. I'm talking history. I'm talking all one a week. One a week. He says, you should all do that. Right. Well, when you started, it didn't have radio. <laughs> Then I met a guy as a very dear friend of him. He's actually at his ministry now there in Memphis. His name's Dr. Ted Rendell. Had a seminary up in uh, Canada. And he retired from it. He was the president of it. First time he introduced me to it. Uh, he says, Terry, I want you to meet somebody. He says, this is Dr. Ted Rendell. I said, all right. How you doing? He's in I'm like, yeah, we do. You read a book a week. A book a week. For all them years and you're telling me this guy reads more than you? Oh, yes, definitely. His personal library, 175,000 volumes. And he's read them all. I got a lot of books in my office. I got news for you. I have not read them all. But they look really cool. Everybody's, look at all them books he's got. Yeah, man. But I realize that's a thing that pastors do. They get books. And then they put them on the shelf. And you go, look, I got books. And you're like, wow, man. But I, I, I just think about that and I'm like, what has happened to us? John Phillips used to work for John Deere as an engineer. And if you go look at a John Deere manual, they'll have these exploded pictures that shows, that takes it all apart. Here's all the parts and here's how they all go back together. Dr. Phillips did that. And he knew, now this guy had glasses that he legally was not allowed to drive. But I mean, he had glasses. When you looked at his face, his eyeballs were about that big around. And I'm like, how in the world do you spend all that time doing that? And you're blind as a bat. And he started writing commentaries. They call it the Exploring Series. You start reading those. I, I just finished up the book of Psalms. 
You start reading that and the mindset that would take those pictures of those parts and spread them out is the exact mentality that he wrote exploring the book of Psalms. He just pulls it apart so you can see it and then he puts it all back together again. And I got done with it. I was like, yo, dude. See, those are the people that poor pea brains like me need. Okay? Because I can't do that. You don't want me sitting around doing that kind of stuff. Now then, I want to show you how feeble we are. But I want you to understand something. Just because I'm going to point out our weaknesses... I don't want you to all walk out of here discouraged like, well, man, I wonder why I will stand why Calvin called it worm theology. Okay, I don't want you to do that. Okay, because that's not how it ends. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. In verse 9, he quotes Isaiah. But just as it is written... The things which the eye has not seen and the ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the spirit for the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Okay. Let me tell you what, let me me give it to you in uh, Terry vernacular, okay? The meaning of that, those two verses, is experience can't see it, okay? You can't see it, you can't hear it, nor can your heart... Even conceive it. Okay? There's no such thing as intuition. There's no such thing as feeling. There's no such thing as rationalization can grasp it. And neither has it entered even into the heart of man. Okay? I had a conversation with someone this week. Known him for a long time. Um. They want to know how it's doing and all the rest of it. And so we were began talking theology and the statement kept being made. Well, I feel. And so, you know, I haven't seen him in a while, so I said, I'm not going to shut this down yet. But I heard that about five times and I finally said, exactly what is it you feel? And she said, what? That's like, what do you feel? Before I got saved, I went and seen Led Zeppelin, and I had a feeling. I don't think it was Christ. What do you think? Okay? This text says the human being can't sense this. Because it takes one to know the depths of God to explain it to us. When you look at 3 through 14 of chapter 1, guess what? That's the depths of God. And I've gone through it, and I've gone through it, and I've gone through it. I can't tell you how many times. 
And I still have to back away from it every once in a while and go, ugh. I don't know how you experience that. How do I experience? Well, I was chosen before the foundations of the world. How do I experience that? I don't know. Well, I feel. What do you mean you feel? It cannot be known externally. It cannot be known internally. The things that God has prepared for them that love him. You can't understand. Listen, heaven is the complete absence of sin. Can you really understand that? I can't understand that. I know it's true, but I'm sitting there going, oh, gee, I don't know. And yet, look how many Christians want to stay here. I had a guy tell me one time, he says, I have not gotten to take a cruise ship in the Caribbean. I hope Jesus doesn't come back before I get that done. What? Are you out of your mind? Then you stay. I'm out of here. I, 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 don't, I, I don't get that. I don't understand that. It, but again, if you drop down there to verse 11, he explains what he's trying, the unexplainable. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Right? Let's be realistic. Each of us has had thoughts that we ain't never shared with nobody, nor are we gonna. I don't care who you are. Some point in time, something has crossed your mind, and you're like, oh my goodness. Right? Then he goes on and says this. Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except what? The Spirit of God. Who searches the depths of God's thinking? The Spirit of God. Where is He at? He's in you. He's in you. You will hear, we will be filled with the Spirit. And I hear that all the time because I remember seeing a guy on TV one time that if it hadn't been so serious, it was comical. But he called himself the Holy Spirit bartender. And it was his job to stir up the Spirit in people. And you're like, look. And he used the text that says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, the context of that, it says, do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. If you're drunk on wine, what influence are you under? The wine. If you're filled with the Spirit, what influence are you under? Spirit. Okay? You don't go around, well, I only got about half a tank of Holy Spirit today. You know, I'm going to go down to the Holy Spirit gas station and fill her up, tap it off, maybe get a free wash or something. Again, God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. Remember when we were looking in verse 14 of chapter 1, the Erebon, the Erebon, the inheritance, the earnest. It literally can mean the engagement ring. This is the promise. When a woman gets engaged, the guy gives her a ring. He's saying, okay, I'm committed. Okay? And listen, ladies, until you get that, stay away because they're not. Okay? And you say, well, you don't. Yeah, I do. I'm a man. I've done that. I know how it works. You can always say, oh, yeah, I'd like to marry you. One of these days, until you see that ring, 
It's just hot aired. So anyway. Alright. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Why? In order for us to understand this legacy that we have in Christ Jesus, we have to depend on the Holy Spirit. I've got a brother-in-law who's Presbyterian. He's uh, he's hardcore, man. He's I mean hardcore Presbyterian. Uh, he's he's a trip, man. He's he's a I mean I sit there and I can ask him about a word. We'll be reading scripture together. I said, "What is that word in the Greek?" And he'll spout it off and and if it's parsed this way, then you're like, "Wow, dude, why do you know that?" Okay, but he's really smart. And we were riding one time. We'd got flown into his house and and we were going to go to the Jackson, Mississippi. He lives over in Alabama. We we're going over to Mississippi to see his kids' concert. And we were driving across the south and something come up. I don't remember what it was. And I, and I, I said, well, you know, as the spirit guides us, then we should be able to get there. And he said, we don't talk about the spirit. And I was like, what? And he says, well, the Presbyterians don't really deal with the spirit. Oh. <laughs> what you deal with? <laughs> I, I don't know how you pull that off. He says, well, you guys teach on the spirit. Well, dude. It's in the book. You can't get away from him. But what has happened is they get into these places where you have the experiential church and they have so perverted the Holy Spirit that the Presbyterians are like, I don't even want to talk about that. But I keep saying, well, what they're doing is not the Holy Spirit. I don't know what it is, but it's not the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is this is easy. Okay, and he said, well, yeah, but the spiritual gifts, you know, I've seen people exercise. He was on the Logos, which is a missionary ship. And he said, I've seen people, you know, speaking in tongues. I said, who interpreted? Well, nobody. I said, then it wasn't tongues. Why? You don't talk. Paul emphatically says, if you're going to speak in tongues, there's no interpreter. Shut up. That's the Greek version. Because I've done it. I've got an interpreter that I use in Russia. And we have gotten along so well together that when I'm preaching, he's right there. So if you were to stand in the crowd and look, you don't know if I'm interpreting him or he's interpreting me. But you know what? He has not got the gift of tongues. He had to go to school to learn English. And then you've got enough hillbilly in me. Every once in a while, I can give him a word, and he goes, what? <laughs> so I just do that to make him. It's kind of like hitting the front brakes on a bicycle. <laughs> Sorry. Listen, when we depend, now you've got to get that word. I, I use that word specifically. You must depend on the Holy Spirit. I mean, you have to be obsessed by him because when you get that done, you will start understanding the deep things of God. All right. Verses three through 14. Guess what? Some seriously deep things of God. Tremendous truths. That our human minds can't conceive of. And, and, and people, it's funny because I watch people get just apoplectic 
over God's sovereignty. Well, I'll have you know I chose. Well, then mark that out of your Bible. That's, I don't have any problem. That's all you want. That's what you feel. Then mark it out of there. And that usually doesn't help the situation, but it's, it takes the burden off of me. To understand these truths that are ours in Christ, that Paul has delivered. Okay, now I want you to understand this. He gave us the theology first. Okay, and now this isn't mediocre theology. This isn't ankle deep stuff. This is, uh oh, I'm going to have to hold my breath because I'm way underwater. Then he says, for this reason, for this reason, because of the degree of the intensity of this theology, he's moved to pray for us that we would understand him. I have been praying that every day for every one of you by name since I started into this book. Because I knew what chapter one was. I was like, man, this thing here, a choke of water buffalo. If we don't, listen, I'm going to make this as simple as I can. If we don't understand them, guess what? We can't live them. In chapter 1, now you watch this. In chapter 1, Paul begins with describing our position in Christ. Then after describing our position in Christ, he prays that we'll understand. In chapter 2, Paul describes our position in Christ. Then in chapter 3, guess what? He prays that we'll understand. Now, I told you earlier that anytime something is stated in Scripture, I go, Amen. But when it's repeated to me, and then it's prayed for twice, you know what? I get this thing from heaven that says, hey, stupid, I'm talking to you. That's what he calls me. I don't know what he calls you, but that's what he calls me. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. This is the Apostle Paul. He's no slacker preacher. I mean, I don't know that I've ever stumbled around in such a, a, a spiritually mature mind in my life, except for possibly Christ. And he comes back and says, when I give you this, my next thing is to what? Pray that the Spirit of God opens your eyes and ears so that you can grasp it. Because if you're going to live it, you better understand it. Then finally in four, now that you have got it and you understand it, here's how you flesh it out. Twice he describes the believer's positions. Chapter one and chapter two. Twice he prays that we understands it in chapter one and chapter three. And in four, five and six, now that you understand your position, live it. 
Live it. Listen, here's the point. You cannot live what you do not understand. And you know what? I know there's a lot of no understanding. I know it completely. I witness almost daily from the, so from the saints. They don't understand. They don't understand. You try to point them. It's just like the meeting I had with the person I've known a long time this week. And when she left, I got out on my knees and said, Father, open her eyes. Open her eyes. I've been praying that for every one of you. Open her eyes. Open her eyes. You cannot function on the principles that you don't know. I shared that this morning. Wives, submit yourself to your own husband as unto the Lord. That thing goes like a lead balloon, doesn't it? I am. All right, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself. I'm doing that too. And I can tell. Okay, but if I understand what my position is in Christ, that I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, I've been empowered by the Holy Spirit, that He opens my eyes that I may see, that's easy. That is easy. I don't even have to practice it. It just happens. It's a weird thing. Kids, honor your parents. No child has ever dishonored their parents. I know that. You see what I mean? We go through it. Slaves, treat your masters not with eye service, but like you owe them. Masters, treat your slaves. Do not beat them. Once you know your position in Christ, then you do this. And you don't have to, well, I'm going to do submission school today. No, it's just there. No Christian has ever lived the Christian life who didn't know what it was. Can't be done. I was talking about this morning, walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Okay? When you were unbeliever, you walked in the flesh, you had no problem with it. You became professional and proficient at it. Then all of a sudden, boom! Your soul gets invaded. And now you've got to learn to walk all over again. Okay? How many times have I heard this from Christians? I am proud to be an American. That's a bad word. Every time I've looked at that word in the Bible, there was not a good connotation went with it. I am thankful to be an American. Pride goes before the fall. So many Christians are frustrated trying to live a life that has never, ever been defined for them. Why do we have Christian marriage classes? Do you realize how absurd that is to me? Why don't we have theology classes? And understand that I am not my own. I've been bought and paid for with a price. I am now a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I used to be a slave to sin, but he bought me. It is finished. It is complete. I don't have to worry about it no more. Guess what? Then you're going to love your wife as Christ loved the church. 
of people. See, when I listen to some people, there are two guilty sides in this. There are those people who run around trying to define what a Christian looks like. I know. I've had people help with my definition a lot. Okay, they see me on my motorcycle and they said, well, how can you be a believer and not wear a helmet? That must be like Leviticus because I never read that. Well, how can you be a preacher and have a beard? I'm too lazy to shave. Okay. I, some of you know I work on motorcycles. There's time, my shop is not air conditioned or anything or insulated. And so by about 11 o'clock in the morning, my shop is just one step off of the gates of hell. And I mean, you can just stand there and sweat. And I've had people come in and I've had a sleeveless shirt on. They said, well, how can you be a preacher and not have sleeves in your shirt? Cause I sweat. Sorry. I didn't call, mean to cause you to stumble. But see, you get that stuff. People can tell you what a Christian looks like. This is what I'm going to tell you. And then you got the people who don't know what they're supposed to look like, and they're trying to do it anyway. Oh my God, I better shave. Oh my God, I better get a helmet. Oh my gosh, I should dress in long underwear. All the time, that way nobody is offended. And do you see what I'm trying to get at? There is absurdity out there. Well, this is, you're not sharing your faith. Well, I hope I don't have any faith like yours because I hope yours ain't contagious. Listen, here's an easiest illustration that I, I look at my life. Okay. And I'm going to use this illustration. I don't like to, but this is the way that it has always come about to me. Have you ever put together a puzzle? Okay, one of the first things you do with a puzzle is you dump all the pieces out. And then now, maybe this ain't how you do it, but this is how I do it. And I turn all the pieces over so I can see the pictures. Okay, you don't want to see a bunch of cardboard back because you're like, oh, I don't know where that goes. Okay, so I put them all together. All right, I got all the pieces. I got a thousand piece puzzle. All right, it's all sitting there. Right there it is. All the pieces. I got them all turned upside down. Okay, next thing I try to do is find the border. You know, they're the ones, they're only going to hook on one way. I got that. I started looking at that. All right. And then, then you just start slowly. The process begins. All right. How would you do that if you didn't have a picture? I bet you $10 right now, frustration would sit in. Right. I don't know what it is I'm putting together. In my life, I kept getting a whole bunch of pieces. My theology was expanding. I was seeing things that I couldn't even get a firm handle on. I had all of these pieces. I can't even say that I had the border started. And finally, God broke me and he says, are you going to listen to me or what? And guess what happened? He started putting the pieces together. I remember when they asked me to be a preacher. I said, you're out of your minds. It took me three years. I ain't doing that. That's stupid. I ain't called to do that. God just kept putting the pieces together. And then they tricked me. Our pastor left and elders came up and said, what are you studying? I said, First Peter. And I said, why don't you teach us that until we find somebody? I said, well, all right, I'll 
do what I can. And that was 23 years ago. God, those guys are slow. (laughs) But do you see what I'm trying to get at? See, every one of you in this room has a number of puzzle pieces. Some of you haven't even turned them over to see the picture side. You're still looking at the back of the cardboard. God's trying to get you to get ready because he's going to put them all together and he's going to make this beautiful picture that he knows that he planned before the foundations of the earth and he wants you to be a part of it. And then God puts it all together. And I just, I mean, I look at this congregation and all the years that I've been with it and multiple generations that I have seen come and go and I look at it and those are all parts of my puzzle pieces. Paul knows as a man of God that it is not just a case of telling people. You must always pray that God will energize the information. I believe that that's why in Acts chapter 6, the apostle said, We will give ourselves continually to the ministry of the word and prayer. Why? The ministry of the word must be energized by the Spirit of God, and it is that sought in the intercessing for people that it changes the character. All right, back to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to close with a couple of things. Those of you who are part of this fellowship have a church directory. Okay? Everybody who's in this church. Okay? I don't think that the man of God's job is just to pray for the hurting human body of the people. I'm not saying you don't. But I think we've lost emphasis. And I would like to challenge every one of you. Every one of you that has a church directory. I want you to start tomorrow morning. I want you to go through the directory. I want you to go name by name. Start off with the first one, and I want you to say, and that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelations in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know the hope of his calling. And then move on to the next name. And then the next name. Pray that specifically. Don't do it. Don't do it this way. Pray this and then name off all the names. (laughs) That's not what I'm trying to get you to do. What I'm trying to get you to do is to pray each person in this congregation individually that God will open their eyes of their understanding and that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of their heart would be enlightened. They may know the hope of the calling. Okay. Chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. The spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened and that they would know the hope of their calling. Pray for each and every person in the congregation every day until we get together next Sunday. All right? Listen, it's not enough to teach. It must be taught. Then prayed 
And the energy of the Spirit of God would be released as a response to that intercessory prayer. Listen, that's what's going on with the Apostle Paul right here. If you, I shared with you that in some of the original manuscripts of this letter, the word Ephesus is not in it. And if you read through this letter, it can go to any congregation. He's not dealing with a specific trouble in it. So this letter could be written to the body of Christ. So Paul's praying for the body of Christ that the power of the Holy Spirit will open their eyes of understanding, wisdom, and revelation that they may know the hope of their calling of the massive theology I just gave you. Spirit of God released in response. See, that's what's going on. Paul is praying that you and I in 2017... We'll understand this before he tells us how to live it. And he's going to do it again, which tells me this is key. This is crucial. Knowing our position is vital. It is vital. I have to know who I am in Christ. And then four, five and six are a piece of cake. Our piece of cake. I've, I've seen Christians who will not forgive. And I keep thinking, you don't understand the first part. You ask yourself a simple question. What sin has God forgiven you of? He's already forgiven the ones you're going to do and you ain't even done them yet. So take the challenge. Starting tomorrow morning. Take your church directory, 17 and 18, Ephesians chapter 1. Pray for everyone in the church. And even if you say, well, I've never heard of this person. Well, then you're in sin. (laughs) Sorry, I just had to throw that in and I haven't said that all day. But anyway, brothers and sisters, that's what we're looking at. We're looking for praises for the believer, praises for their faith, praise for their love, and then a petition for the believers. Oh, by the way, if you will note, that's part one. Uh, I had it down to 23 points. And I thought, you know, I might want to do this in a couple of parts. See, I look out for you guys. (laughs) All right, let us pray. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, as the Apostle Paul prays, uh, may you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him and the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened that we would know the hope of your calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saint. Thank you, my King. What an amazing text. And yet, Father, I feel so inadequate. So, Father... I am begging your spirit to do the teaching, and I will just be the foghorn. Father, you love us more than we can comprehend. I pray that as you open our eyes and you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that, Father, our love for you become more massive. Father, we love you. We thank you. I praise you for these precious souls. And, Father, I pray that they are encouraged by the word of God. In Christ's name, amen.